Chapter Five of the Life of Jesse Harding Pomeroy by E. Luscombe Haskell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five, the most remarkable case in the history of crime or criminal law. Honorable Charles Robinson Jr. made the opening argument for the defense. In addressing the jury, he said he feared that Jesse did kill the boy. He stated that the crime was committed April 22, 1874, and that Jesse at that time was 14 years and 5 months old. An age, said the counsel, when the law says he can be held for the crime. It is the most remarkable case in the history of crime or criminal law. The lawyer proceeded and stated that, at one time, Jesse ill-treated a cat, which was seen to run away from him, with eyes glaring, showing that it had been in pain. In the Winthrop School in Charlestown, in 1871, he made faces in school. The teacher said that at times it was utterly impossible to make him understand. When reprimanded, he would say, I could not help it. He thought it very unjust if he was punished. Continuing, Mr. Robinson said, After that, I think, in December 1871, was the first time that this boy departed from anything so very unusual, when he commenced a career which is certainly unknown before, unparalleled, I think, in the treatment of other boys. Undoubtedly you may have heard of it. I propose to put in the facts in this case as they came to my knowledge. I find that as early as December 1871, while he was living in Charlestown, he goes over to Chelsea and takes a strange boy with him up to the top of Powderhorn Hill, some two or three miles from where this boy lived, and entirely out of his duty, calling or business, took the boy up there, a stranger, and strips the young child, I think that follows in every case, whips the child somewhat, and made him go through certain acts before him, and then told him to go home. In February 1872, another act of this kind occurred. The boy goes from his home, unknown to his parents, and finds a boy over in Chelsea, a stranger to him, and takes him up to the top of Powderhorn Hill, and there goes through similar actions with him. I think that was in the winter. He was put up there in some ice. He whipped the boy some, and stuck some pins in him, and went through a general performance. I cannot detail each one to you. Here in July, again, he took another boy, a Chelsea boy, he still living in Charlestown, for he went from Charlestown to Chelsea. He did not seem to go to any other place. He took that boy up to Powderhorn Hill and went through the same series with him. I do not mean to say precisely the same things, but substantially, whipping the boy, more or less, taking off his clothes, and making him get upon a stone and dance. In one instance he made the boy say the Lord's Prayer. Here were three of them at Chelsea. About the first of August, 
the family removed to South Boston. He had been there but a short time before he commenced the same thing there with the boys who were utter strangers. On the seventeenth day of August he took a strange boy out near these marshes, where the millen boy was killed, and there he goes through the same performances with this boy, whips him, strips him, and makes him say things, and dances around him. The next transaction was on the 8th day of September, 1872, when he takes another boy. He whipped them all, and made them take off their clothes, and went through these various performances. On September 11th, three days afterwards, he took another one of these boys, who were utter strangers to him, and he to them, out near the same place on the marsh. The four South Boston boys all went out to the marsh. He went through the same performance and took out a large knife which he seemed to have carried in a pocket in his coat. I understand it was a sort of old butcher's knife which was used about the house, or was used for carving. This boy was the first one that was cut seriously. He was cut on the head. I have the boy here. As I understand, he danced around him, and while the blood was on the knife and running from it, he sat and laughed to see the blood dripping off. Again on the seventeenth, six days afterwards, he takes another boy, an entire stranger, out and ties him down to a telegraph post, near the bridge there, out in that vicinity, and whipped him some. These matters, of course, you will probably remember, as I do, were more or less exciting to the community as to who was causing these acts. Subsequently, on the 20th day of September, he was arrested as the party who was troubling the children. Counsel stated that he pleaded guilty and was sent to the state reform school. There was no proof against him except the statements of small boys. There was some doubt of his guilt in the community. At the reform school he attempted to use a knife but was discovered by a teacher. When discovered he said he was not going to do anything. At one time a snake was killed in the road. When Jesse saw the blood he seemed to want to kill the snake again. It was with great difficulty that he was got away. After that he behaved well and was discharged from the school. He said he would never do a wrong thing again. Counsel continued, The first transaction after he came out, which I shall put in proof, is a transaction prior in date to this murder. This transaction occurred on the 22nd day of April. On the eighth day of March, I understand, he did on that day kill the current girl, and under circumstances like these, that Jesse, by his mother's request or general direction, went to open her store. She kept a small place, being a dressmaker and supporting the family by means of a store and her labor. She sent him there to open the store. He had another brother, an elder brother, who sold papers. He went there at half-past eight o'clock in the morning to open this store, 
and while he was there, engaged in sweeping it out, the Curran girl came in. She was an entire stranger to him, and he to her, and before her coming in there he did not know there was a Curran girl in the world. She came in by direction of her mother to purchase an article of some kind. Instantly the thought came to him, and he told her to go into the cellar, and then, within three minutes from the time the girl went into that cellar or store, she was dead. She went and asked for some article. He told her it was downstairs. She went down, and he immediately locked the front door. As I understand, she stepped down and stood right in the center of the place below, facing Broadway. He stepped up behind her and in an instant cut her throat. It was done in an instant. She died quite suddenly, without any great struggle. He then took her and threw her on one side and covered her over with some few things and left her. She was missed, but no suspicion was aroused as to where she was, and no tidings could be got where she went to. The next transaction was this transaction, of which you have heard today. These are the particular transactions connected with this boy. I understand the boy to say, since these matters came out, that he cannot control himself, that if he was out, that is, if he was at liberty, he might do nothing, yet on the other hand, if the opportunity arose, he could not resist even if it was your boy or mine. As I once put the question, if it was my little boy and I should leave him there, would he be safe? He said, no. He should not mean to do anything, but it did not make any odds whose boy it was. If this feeling came up, which he cannot control, and which, he says, is irresistible, he would do these things again. Those are the acts with which the boy has been connected, something exceedingly remarkable. From the evidence that I get in the case, and what I shall be able to offer to you, I think that I shall satisfy you that this little boy has an original defect, or want of capacity, that there is something wanting in him, has always been wanting in him, and that there is not a power in him by which he can control his actions, or control these impulses, when these impulses come over him. I have not been able to ascertain any motive why he does these acts. I have failed yet to discover any motive. I propose to put all these facts in regard to this boy before you, and present this case with a full statement upon every fact bearing and touching upon this boy, because I feel like this. I feel that in one respect this boy cannot go out safely. We all feel that it would not be safe in the community to have him at large. In my neighborhood, where I have my children, I would move because there is no more safety with that boy around than there is with powder and fire in close proximity. Therefore I have got this offer. I shall offer some evidence about these peculiarities. I think there is an original want of capacity. 
I also think there is evidenced here that there is a sort of mental disease which affects him, and that these acts are the acts of disease as well as of an original want of capacity, and that upon no other theory can you intelligently account for his case. Gentlemen, you perceive that there are some nine instances, seven instances of cutting and torturing boys, a confinement of sixteen months in the state reform school, a discharge from there, and then a little more than two months from the time of his discharge from the state reform school, he kills two children. As I understand the case, if he had had an opportunity within the last six months, he might have killed six more. Now, upon that matter, of course, you will understand by what I have said the view I take of the case. I take this view of the case, that this boy has not the capacity, either by a want of having it originally, or by being born with evil powers, or by reason of disease, he is not a being responsible. In other words, it comes within the language of the statute that he is an insane person, and insanity may be there. It is a term which is broad, the term insanity, yet the statute has defined it as follows. The word insane person or lunatic shall include every idiot, non-compass, or insane, distracted person. I suppose I may also say that the term insane means also a person who is of unsound mind, that if he is deficient in that power by which he is able to control himself, if he has not the power to withstand. This boy understands what is wrong and what is right. He understands sometimes, if he doesn't act, that he is liable to be punished for it. And yet, notwithstanding this, and although he was in school and learned somewhat rapidly, and from the statement which he wrote and which was read, he has some capacity in that direction. Nevertheless, there is this element in him by which he cannot control himself at certain times. Therefore, I shall present this case to you as an act committed by him, by a being who is not responsible at the time, and then, if he was not responsible at the time, he is not within the statute, which I read, guilty of murder in the first or second degree, but that he is a person who is not guilty by reason of insanity. The legislature has passed a law to meet just such a case. The law reads, When a person indicted for murder or manslaughter is acquitted by the jury by reason of insanity, the court shall order such person to be committed to one of the state lunatic hospitals during his natural life. I take it that this boy is of this class, and upon the evidence which I shall present to you when I come to present my view of the matter, after hearing the evidence, to take that view of the case. The law provides, then, how this boy shall be taken care of and where he shall have restraint. I believe I have stated the facts in this matter, 
and all that is necessary is to call my witnesses to give their evidence. End of chapter 5